As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome back to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. We were bombarded with messages over the summer saying when we're going to return. Uh, so, one, we're really glad that you missed the show. And two, we're back. But wait, we've done a little bit of early business for this podcast. I've been given more of a free role, and I'm delighted to welcome in someone who's a very familiar face in the press box at Old Trafford. It's our brand new host of the podcast, Mr. Ian Irving. Hello, Ian. Hello, Carl. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, you can sit back now, mate, and just enjoy the show. Bring your insight, as you always do as well. Uh, you know I'm here. You know that Carl's here as well. But I need to introduce you as well to the Athletics' Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Ian. What a transfer this is. The coup Not they all wanted. It's not on, is it, mate, to be fair? But, you know, <laughs> best we can do, really. A holding midfielder so I can bomb forward a bit more. That's what's yeah, I'll, I'll just bomb <laughs> up at the back. That sounds like a good idea, yeah. Perfect. Sweet as. Sweet as. Um, I need to introduce Andy Mitten to you as well, of course, who you all know from The Athletic and also he's the editor of United We Stand. But Andy, the big question is, when's your mum joining us? For people listening who don't know why Ian made that comment, um, <laughs> I did uh, Sky News the other day and told my mum what I was doing and she just walked behind me while I was on live TV with rollers in her hair. Then what you couldn't see, I mean, I, I wanted to tell her to get out of the way because it was on live TV, but obviously everything I said was on live TV. She just calmly walked to the kettle, put the kettle on. It made a no load of noise. And then afterwards, when I said, what were you doing? She just saw that she'd done absolutely nothing wrong. And then later on, she was buzzing and telling all the mates that she'd been on the telly. <laughs> so there you go. So she's under strict orders not to interfere with this podcast. <laughs> so let's get cracking. I just thought it was beautifully northern, Andy, to be honest. Rollers in the hair. Yeah, yeah, making a brew. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, she said I wanted a brew. And to be fair, it is her house. Yeah. And then, you know, I think Sky then put it out there. So it went viral. And I think 90% of people thought it was funny. And then they had 10% of people saying, look at the sad, he still lives with his mum. And I'm like... <laughs> No, I don't, but I am allowed to visit other people's houses and speak, you know. So uh, it was it was, it was, was quite funny. Yeah, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, to be fair. So, okay, then, before we get into it, let me quickly remind you that we're going to be talking about some of the best Manchester United coverage on The Athletic, but there's plenty more on the website covering the Red Devils as well, and, of course, the rest of the Premier League and much more besides. So if you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, you'll get a 33% discount. That's a third off the regular price. You'll get the same great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all their podcasts as well, including this one. So get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod before the 15th of August for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Okay, boys, let's waste no time then. Carl, are Manchester United title challengers this season? Yes, maybe. I can see 
the way I think about it is sort of buying wins. So Manchester United finished second last season, uh, 76 points. Kind of very strange team. All those comeback wins, unbeaten away from home. You go, you're not going to be able to do that if you have the same squad next season. Good news is United have improved that squad. Jaden Sanchez coming, playing on the right wing. That means results like the 2-1 defeat to Sheffield United probably aren't going to happen anymore. It means United probably aren't going to have so many nil-nil results against the rest of the top six. Then you've got Rafael Varane, really good centre-back, which means draws like the 3-3 to Evan probably aren't going to happen anymore. That uh, draw against West Bromwich Jabin probably not going to happen anymore. So that's an extra five, six points. So 82. Problem is, I don't think 82 points are going to get you a Premier League title anymore. I could see United very easily finishing in the top four. I think their season squabbling with Brennan Rodgers, Leicester City and Spurs are probably done. But unless something miraculous happens or one of the strikers goes completely supernova, I think United are probably going to have to once again go for the Andy Mitten standard, which is a top four and a trophy. Andy, what do you think of this? I think you make good points there. I'm more optimistic now than I was at the start of last season. I think a better pre-season will help. Buzzing off Varane signing, buzzing off Sancho signing. I still think there'll be more transfer activity. Um, City, City are brilliant. Guardiola's brilliant. The players are linked with are brilliant. But they're, they're not invincible. We've seen that City have imploded a couple of times in recent years. And... A year ago, I don't think anyone could have seen Liverpool imploding. So we just need that to happen to City. United need to keep on improving, keep on adding more points, as you say. Um, if you're really going to push me and say, will United win the league this year? I, I don't think so, but I would hope for five more points, a proper uh, title challenge and trophies. Ollie needs trophies. No excuses now. Andy, why don't you think they will win it? Because I still think the team is coming together and I probably sound a bit hesitant because I want United to win it and, and I wouldn't be stunned if United did win it and I think Ollie's doing well I think that it's a very good squad now and it's all right saying we've got the two new signings Cavani stayed and in March he wanted to leave he asked to leave so that's good you need luck United were pretty lucky last year with injuries with um, very few Covid positives and it just needs a look and more confidence. But City, City have been there. They, 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 they've won the league. They know what it's like. And I'm just not sure that United are quite at that level yet. But I'm more optimistic, as I said, than this time last year. I think it's. I think Varane was a brilliant, brilliant signing. And I've watched him play a lot in Spain. He is a, one former player said to me he's, he is significantly better than any other Manchester United defender. And you're like, wow. So... I'm not writing Manchester United off, but I just don't think, I'm not going to say here that I think United are going to win the league. Laurie, is it simple as finishing above City and that's it? Or do, do United have to worry about any of the others? I think it will be, yeah, finish above City. I know that Liverpool were clearly massively affected by Virgil van Dijk being out for so long, Joe Gomez. I mean, the, the way they finished that season with the defence they had, you know, Reese Williams and, um, you know, the, the, the Tisana guy from Preston and Ben Davis, who never actually got a lick, Kabak, you know, these kind of attempts to, um, you know, make make do with what they had. Um, yeah, you, you feel for them. Well, I say feel for them, you never really feel for Liverpool, do you? But <laughs> yeah, in, a, in a purely football sense, you can understand that it was a very difficult situation for Jurgen Klopp to deal with and sort of credit to them for kind of coming through and finishing in the top four. But I, I still don't think that you add Virgil van Dijk back into that situation after a, a big injury like he had. Clearly, he's a, he's a Rolls Royce of a defender and allows them to play a different way. You know, Fabinho wouldn't be having to play in defence or Jordan Henderson, him being out for so long is a big issue um so but i don't i don't know if they'll, they'll come back as, as strong as they were but clearly you know they've got that pedigree um you know they've got a, a front three that, that know how it's how it's done but equally i think they they perhaps hit a little bit of a ceiling last year you know marnie wasn't wasn't at his best so they, they're going to need to have something significant happen i know they've got canate now as well but he's had his injury problems with rb leipzig so i don't necessarily see them i, I feel like united and liverpool are pretty equitable in that regard um, I, th I think City you know 12 points ahead of United clearly they're the team to beat it's a unusual thing if a team makes up that kind of a gap over one course of a season I know that obviously Leicester did it when they won the league and we've had examples of it but it's a it's a significant gap really and I I'm, I share the optimism that Carl and Andy have after the summer of transfers you know Jane Sancho so exciting 21 
he's got years ahead of him. Um, Rafael Varane is, is, you know, at is that age twenty eight. You know, you feel like he can go straight into the team and 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 you know slot straight in. It, it won't need you don't think too much time to adjust. Although I suppose there's always that question about players from La Liga coming to Premier League, um, the physicality of it. It's something for him to be. Um, to, to look at, I suppose. Um, yeah, but I think I think City are the, are the team to beat. I mean, particularly, I know that Sergio Aguero's gone, but particularly if they get Jack Grealish or Harry Kane or both, <laughs> you know, which is still a, a possibility depending on how things shake down. Um, that they would they would be that would be an awesome squad, wouldn't it? Um, e- even without both of them, you think they've got enough in there. You know, the, the, the kind of willing quality, the kind of technical abilities. Pep Guardiola knowing how it's done, you know, you could always see them going in January again if they if they felt like they needed to strengthen the squad. Um, so I think City are the team to beat for sure. One piece of business we've not talked about yet as well is the new contract for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And Carl, you wrote an interesting article this week about this idea of United being all in on Ole now. And maybe the idea that him coming in to prepare success for the future has changed. Just explain that a bit more. The thing that always struck me about Solskjaer and when he came into Manchester United was when Mourinho was removed in 2018, there was a statement of we're going to get in an interim manager, then we're going to get in a long-term manager, we're also going to get director of football. And that didn't quite happen back then. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in as interim, he eventually became the long-term manager and the director of football only came in last season with John Noiter and even then he's not quite a director of football, he's a football director uh, and that change of words means a lot, as Laurie once explained with a very nice family tree that was immediately redundant the day after he did it. Um, so I think there was always that sort of, that, that three-year contract he got in 2018 always gave me that feeling my that the idea for social was if he can't do it, the next person can. And in terms of getting the club ready and decluttering and getting rid of a lot of the mess and detritus that was left, uh, in the whole of Van Hal's era and Mourinho's era that Laurie's written about really well in The Athletic as well. I think Solskjaer's done brilliantly. Medical team is better than what it used to be. The academy's way better than what it used to be. First team, more aggressive, able to press higher up the pitch, more able to do the sort of things you want modern football teams to do. They're almost there. And there was always that sense of, is Solskjaer the person that can make that jump and do it himself? And I think that sort of question of is Solskjaer going to be able to make that jump has basically been answered with this new contract it's not can he do it it's well that's it now no one else is coming anyone that was talking about Pochettino well he's at PSG and he's just extended at PSG so he's not going to come around any other manager that was regarded as a sort of X's and O's tactics person isn't going to come to Manchester United so it's it's all in on Solskjaer and I'm okay with that I said that with a little bit of upper cadence. I'm I'm happy with what Solskjaer's doing. He's done a lot of good work now. I don't have to ask him after so many press conferences, what are you trying to do now? Because I understand that a lot better. That team got better throughout the season and there's enough just about in the squad layout and what that team wants to do. That makes me think, yeah, they're going to be there or thereabouts for the next three or four years, which is weird because you couldn't say that about Manchester United basically ever since Alex Ferguson retired. This is you know, the first time United have got back-to-back top four finishes on the social. And that it feels weird to be, to denigrate Solskjaer for not immediately turning Manchester United into title contenders again. But because we first have to acknowledge just how much work he had to do to get them to just a relatively even kill within the top four. So uh, yeah, still work to be done, but I now trust Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to do the work. Andy, any upper cadence in your thinking or description of Ole's situation at the minute? I think he's doing a good job. and That's got to become a great job. He's got to be winning trophies. I've backed him when others haven't backed him. There's been times where it's been pretty hairy for him. I remember going to his hometown for the Athletic in 2019, maybe October, and tweeting a picture saying sun's setting on the harbour, it's beautiful. And most of the replies were the sun setting on his United career as well. And there's been three or four moments like that. I can remember one editor, not from The Athletic, last October saying he's going to lose his job this weekend if he doesn't beat Everton. And I said, but he's not. No, he is. No, no, I'm telling you he's not. Why do you know that he is? 
because that's what people are saying. Which people? I'm telling you, as someone who covers Manchester United for a long time, that my understanding is he's not going to lose his job. And it's the editor's like, yeah, but it's not working out, is it? Well, it's not, but it doesn't mean that he's going to lose his job. And things picked up a lot after a bad start. He started both seasons pretty poorly. He's got to start well this year. But he, he knows that. And I think the difference with this season is he's brought the players in to perform for now. Last year, okay, Cavani was brought in for now, but Palestre, Ahmad, and a, a couple of other players, great prospects for the future, that's not good enough. He needs them to perform for now. And I know that with uh, Varane, um, United felt at first that they were reluctant to be played by Real Madrid because other players have fluttered their eyelashes or the representatives have at Manchester United and United have not ended up getting the players such as Sergio Ramos. But Varane was genuine. He wanted to leave. He wanted to come to Manchester United. Only he will know his real reasons why. And when I spoke to someone at Madrid last week, they just said, you never fully know what's going on at Real Madrid, even the people at the heart of it, because Florentino Perez is, is so in control of everything. But that's Manchester United's game. So I think all he's got a good eye for players. His recruitment has generally been good. He just needs a little bit of luck now. You know, Gdansk was awful. Penalties could have gone either way. Obviously, that's a cliche. So uh, I just think if he gets three and a half seasons in and he's not one of any trophies, that the pressure will be really significant then. But I was pleased that he got that new contract and I think that he deserves it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, Laurie, there, there is a genuine sense of pressure on Solskjaer now, isn't there? I know Andy was talking there about the idea of him being on the brink, so people said, in the build-up to that Everton game, which never really seemed real at the time. But now, if he does make a poor start, if he doesn't win things, if, if things are not going well when the season starts, there aren't as many excuses maybe as before, are there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Andy brings up um, yeah last season's transfer window in the summer when he didn't get the players that he wanted and it was uh, a bit of a scramble at the end. And he, he kind of made a pointed reference to that in uh, the post-match press conference after Brentford friendly, where he said, you know, uh, we, we have been scrambling previously and, and it's nice to have Sancho and Varane in early. Admittedly, they're not started pre-season yet, you know, because of the Euros, but equally he, he knows he can plan with them. And when they are ready, they, they can, you know, they're going to start pretty much very early on in the season. Whereas, you know, Cavani last season, there was three matches where he basically missed because United didn't do the signing early enough and, and they lost where they lost um, so yeah so there were certainly uh, mitigation factors for last season's poor start this time it, they're not there um, and I do think that the Europa League final is a a significant disappointment really because I know it's not the trophy that United fans want to be winning you know it's the it's the second tier of, of Europe but at the same time it would have been a trophy to kind of just rubber stamp Solskjaer's progress as a, as a manager and it was a game that kind of drifted it was a game where a manager could have made changes or seen what was happening to affect the result and it was against Villarreal you know a, a good team and he obviously told us in advance you know don't write off Villarreal Unai Emery knows what he's doing in the final of that competition um, but equally I think it was a game there to be won for United and it would have been uh, you know again a, a nice way to finish the season and a real boon for Solskjaer that then he could have that the pressure would have eased a little bit Admittedly, you know, the bigger trophies being the Premier League and the Champions League that he needs to, to you know, really challenge in and, and win, really. Um, so that's the one sort of caveat I have. But, you know, I, do, I agree with all the guys. You know, I've always been a, a kind of supporter of Oli in the sense of he clearly has the club at heart and, and the club has been very dysfunctional. So if you've got a guy there as the manager who understands what it is to be at Manchester United and has that affection for it, give him a chance because it would be it would make the highs all that much better you know the, the lows might be there just as the same as they were with Jose Mourinho or Louis van Gaal or David Moyes but the highs of, of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know guiding Manchester United back to the, the, the kind of uh, elite uh, position that they want to be in and they should really be in um, would be um, you know the, the joy would be you know widespread I think at that um, 
that being said, he, he was um, pretty pretty good, actually, I think, in his post-match press conferences so far that I've seen him in. I know you can't really judge too much, but for sure, you know, when it was going wrong for Jose uh, after um, finishing second that season and then he didn't really get the plays he wanted, it, it was a, a pretty poor window, all, all being told, that one. Um, and, you know, he caused a stink on, on tour in the USA. You could tell that it was fragmenting. This one, Solskjaer's comeback, he looks refreshed. Um, he spoke to us after the Derby game, you know, sort of relaxed, kind of sitting on the side of the, of the hoardings at Pride Park and, you know, answering our questions, allowing extra questions to be asked against Brentford again. He, I thought he gave really full, um, clear answers on, on sort of difficult subjects. And um, so that, that gives me confidence that he's in a good place mentally. He's, he feels recharged and he can start the season in the way that he wants to. Laurie, you've written about the mood around the club as well. You called sort of United dysfunctional at times under Solskjaer. And obviously at the end of last year, there was the widespread fans' protests against the Glazer ownership, against obviously the European Super League as well. There's going to be more fans inside Old Trafford, I think, as things stand for the Leeds United game and the opening match of the Premier League season than there's been at any point since March 2020. And... Andy, what do you think the mood's going to be now amongst Manchester United fans? Will the signings of Sancho and Varane have made any difference? Will the time over the summer have made any difference to the amount of anger there was about last year? Both factors will make a difference because the signings have been welcomed. There are more cynical United fans who can't quite believe that these two players have come to United, despite United actually spending a lot of money on players, a lot of it poorly in recent years. But Sancho and Varane fill fans with optimism. I don't think the fans will suddenly say the Glazers are great because they won't. I've said on record before, I don't think that takeover should ever have been allowed to have happened with that highly leveraged format in 2005. But it did happen. Uh, they've said that they're going nowhere. There's communication now with fans. The idea of fans having a meaningful stake in the club by owning shares with equal voting rights I think that's a good idea. The scepticism uh, attached to that. So the proof will be in the pudding there. You know, if they just offer up 0.5%, that will cause more dissent. But as they saw last year, fans are prepared to take direct action. They're prepared to hit the streets. They're prepared to turn up. They're prepared to be very vocal, to protest, as they have done several times, if they see their football club uh, being, being damaged. Football fans are incredibly loyal but a lot of them are also incredibly fickle and the mood can change so quickly around individual players, around results. If you're asking me today at the start of August 2021, the mood's good. But if you think of it as like a stock market, it's fluctuating all the time. So if United tomorrow sold Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw, you're getting a massive drop. Clearly that's not going to happen. But what really sets the mood is results. If United start the season well, or better than last season. I mean, they have to, because last season there were three defeats in the opening six matches. Um, that will set the mood among fans. There's another key point here. The mood inside the stadium is often far, far more positive than it is among angry, anonymous, online supporters. There's a massive difference. And that was true under Van Hall, under Moyes, um, under Jose, and under Oli. And I think that the fans would have been pretty supportive last year, very frustrated around the time of the protests, and that would have shown as well. But I think the fans back at Old Trafford definitely be welcomed. And if the team can start playing well, I think the mood will be really good among supporters. And you'll always have a hardcore who will continue um, to dissent against the Glazers in different ways, as is their absolute uh, right to do. So it's, it's a complex, nuanced situation that will bubble under. Um, ebbing and flowing um, throughout as it has done since they took over in 2005. Laurie, what was the theme of the thoughts of the fans that you spoke to? Yeah, similar to how Andy's uh, described really there in the clearly, I think the signings um, took uh, the pin, put the pin a little bit in any kind of protest that might have arose, arisen. You know, if, if they hadn't made any signings, you can sort of feel that it would have been pretty febrile at Old Trafford for the Brentford game. I mean, there was a chant, you know, we want Glazers out, 
Is it as simple as that, Laurie? No, I, I think, no, no, for sure. It's a very distinct, you know, matter. You know, I spoke to Tony Park, who, um, really good guy, who wrote the Sons of United book. So he's followed the club since 1970 and he's seen the ups and downs. He's seen, you know, you know, owners that are necessarily not always admired by um, the fans. Um, but he, he very much drew a line between... I mean, he, he said he was wanting to give up his season ticket when the Super League thing kicked off and, he, you know, he's been supporting them for a number of years and people might look at that and go, well, should you really walk away in that situation? But I think he felt that, and it's a justifiable feeling, that why would you want to keep going to something where the owners clearly only are motivated by money and have shown disregard for the fans in consultation, you know, with such a, a competition that, you know, takes away any kind of um, qualification process or, you know, just destroys basically the fabric of football. So he, he, I could see where he was coming from with that, but that's that's the strength of feeling. So yeah, for sure, signing Varane and signing Sancho and giving Old Trafford a lick of paint won't wipe that you know the, the the cards have been revealed so um but equally if it means that it keeps um the glazers honest in that regard in terms of well you're gonna have to keep uh spending money to a the right amount so that and the right way so that united are challenging for the trophies you're gonna have to actually improve old trafford to a significant degree and joel glazer has said that he will do that the, the money that's been spent this summer on Old Trafford in terms of relaying the pitches and disabled um, section and rail seating is separate to the kind of long-term planning that he spoke about at the fans forum. So let's wait and see, you know, I, I, the, the, the changes, the kind of communication that's happened already, the share scheme offer, they're all good starts, but it's a start. It's not like that's going to then go, okay, well, the Glazers are great owners. No one will, I don't think anyone will ever say the Glazers are great owners because they used, you know, loans to buy the club and, and you know, it's cost £1.5 billion to United for, for have, to having them as owners. The reality of it is that they aren't going to go anywhere. So what's the best situation in that in that regard? And the best situation is, is, is keep having dialogue and make sure that they understand what fans want and actually act on it. And it's not just lip service. So with that regard, but then at the same time, if, if these fans are going to matches, so, you know, people went to the Brentford game. I spoke to um, a lovely woman called Joanne Marshall outside the game at Old Trafford, and she's part of the Red Army. And again, a season ticket holder for, for, for many, well, a couple of decades, I think it is. Um, and she was just so buzzing to be back at football because she hadn't gone since that Man City game that you spoke about, you know, in March 2020, when the atmosphere was electric. Um, so she was just so happy to be in amongst it in a live game. So she, why, why why would she be on in the stands protesting against the Glazers when she's just so happy to be back amongst friends and watching football live so it's a difficult balance you know how much do you protest it might be that the Leeds game you know it's going to be a naturally uh the, the atmosphere is going to be naturally hostile anyway because it's Man United v Leeds would that then tip over into okay let's make our feelings clear on the Glazers still you know it was such a significant thing that they were a part of that it can't just be forgotten and I wonder if at certain moments in the season it will get remembered but that's not to say that United fans are then going to organise protests where they manage to get games called off I, I, don't, I don't know maybe I'm wrong but I just don't sense that being the feeling going into this season I feel as if a lot of the arguments about the Glazers and improvement can be very quickly answered with well what about the women's team right so yes senior team senior men's team in a really good place we're seeing investment in that. What about the women's team? And Manchester United have were essentially pushed very lightly into creating a women's team a couple of seasons ago. They had an absolute slam dunk in getting Casey Stoney. And the departure of Casey Stoney and the very large exodus of players over the summer that we've just seen due to a series of Poor investments in facilities for the women's team, some promises that have not been kept and whatnot. Just because the Glazers are getting better in one section of Manchester United ownership, there is a very clear, obvious example of them repeating mistakes they've done previously in the women's team. And I think this the Glazers are getting better. Are they? Really? It can be quite frustrating to see uh, some of the same mistakes being made in anew. And I'm, I'm sure we, we'll probably end up having a similar conversation about this in a couple of years about well why is the women's team being chronically underinvested why is money being taken out of the women's team why are very very talented coaches and players and women's team not getting the support that they're, they're doing so um yeah something to keep an eye on and something that often makes me raise an eyebrow as to what the owners are currently doing
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, so this is the first talk of the Devils ahead of the new Premier League season. And quite frankly, I've got absolutely no idea how we're going to fit all these talking points into it because we need to talk about Paul Pogba and his situation once again, Andy. Adam Crafton has described it as complicated. What word would you use? It is complicated because, as so often is the case, there's different versions of the truth in football. I've said several times this year, and we've been well-sourced in saying so, that Paul Pogba is absolutely amenable to signing a new contract at Manchester United. And then people have pushed back and said, well, of course he is, but it would depend on a huge amount of money. And... Everyone's got a slightly different take on it. So when you do what we do for our job, you, you speak to your, your good sources and there's, there's two sides to it, especially when it comes to, to transfers um, and new contracts. Remember when David De Gea was signing his new contract, he basically ended up being the best paid Spanish player in the world. Huge amount of money. You can argue against that. You can say he's not worth that. He's one of the top paid footballers in, in, in the world. And with Pogba... Uh, slight similarities with the Varane situation. He could let his contract run down. So that would cause United to be nervous because he was a world record transfer fee when he signed. Uh, I'm told a couple of things about him and I've maintained this for a long time. Very professional, very popular. Odd in that, you know, he doesn't mention that he's a Manchester United player on his social media. I think that's odd and I always have done. Um, Not consistent enough. Incredible on his day. And it's a roller coaster ride with him. I remember the start of December, Leipzig away, you struggled to find the United fan who wanted him to stay. A month later, scored great goals. I think it was at Burnley and Fulham, United at the top of the league. And those very same people are like, yeah, he's winning me back over. I've got all my hands up about him. And it's been like that throughout his time at United. I think he knows as well, he needs to be more consistent. He's always wanted better players around him. And he's had a good point there. Well, they're there now. So he's going to stay, perform, perform consistently. He's had a bit of bad luck with injuries at times. So he needs to stay fit. Just perform for Manchester United like he did for France. I did a piece for the Athletic from Munich last uh, in, in June. And the gist of it was, why does he play like this for France and not for Manchester United? Once again, I spoke to people who know him very, very well. And a few points were coming back. He's surrounded by better players. France are the world champions. He's more relaxed in his role. He gets on well with Oli, but he's got this brilliant relationship with, with Deschamps. And he played a ball in Munich to set up France's first goal against Germany. It's one of the best things I've seen on a football pitch this year. So more of that, please. He can do it. He's got that in him. It hit the ground running, like the team. And he could be the type of player who could turn United into a championship but winning team. But we could have had this conversation for the last five years. <laughs> I wish him well. I don't want him to. I don't want him to to, to go. But I also realise it's very complex in terms of uh, his desires, the mixed messages from him. Doesn't really communicate with United fans that much. He's like he's not that bothered, probably because he's been he's had a bit of abuse, um, and his agent as well. That that has always been a thorn. Good for the player, not good for the club or its fans. Carl. Oh, I love Paul Pogba. I'm never, ever going to hide that. I think he is one of the better central midfielders in the world. He also just doesn't like defending. And I think what's really interesting is if you watch, if you watch Euro 2020 coverage in, in the United Kingdom and whenever a game was on ITV, you saw Roy Keane, who was basically arguing 
Paul Pogba's deficiencies were to do with his personality and the fact that he needs to, you know, get his head right and start applying himself every single week. And he had Patrick Vieira, who's basically making points of, well, actually it's more of a tactical thing. And Paul Pogba isn't that good defending. He loses the ball a lot. So you should probably try and get someone behind him to free him up. Roy Keane's approach is probably where a lot of Manchester United fans come about because Roy Keane on his day could do everything. And he probably had you know, Roy Keane's worst day before the new injuries was probably better than a lot of football players' best day. I mean, his worst day was a 7 out of 10. But I very much lean towards Patrick Vieira. And I think Patrick Vieira's approach and the way he views Paul Pogba is probably why Patrick Vieira now is Crystal Palace manager. And that's very much how we coach now of just, even though you have all these below your shoulders ability, if you're above the shoulders, doesn't mean you like defending. I can either spend year after year after year after year yelling at you, telling you to defend, which is what United have done, which is what Mourinho did for ages, or I just buy the defensive midfield that you very clearly need to unlock you. And maybe I shouldn't use the word unlock or whatever, but I think the interesting thing about United is while they've sunk a lot onto Pogba in terms of trying to give him the things he wants in terms of finances and try and give him the things, you know, in the soft skills and that you're the vice captain and whatnot, they've never really bought the player he needs next to him to work. And the big reason, one big reason why he plays better for France is he's got N'Golo Kante next to him. Another big reason is international football is just different to club football, right? There's less pressing. There's a high impetus on set pieces and teams press higher up the pitch. Also, they're quite static and flat in defensive. So Paul Pogba can just ping balls around for ages because there's less people just trying to brutalise him in the same way you see teams like Southampton or, or West Ham just go, right, just double up on him and then wait for him to get a yellow card out of frustration. If I was a, you know, had a club official role at Manchester United, I'd essentially go up to Paul Pogba and say, look, you're in a contract year. We don't want you to leave because there's no one in this market that could offer anywhere close to your production on a good day. So we are going to hopefully make sure you re-sign your contract. But if you don't, you ain't going anywhere. Now, to keep you, we're probably going to go out and buy a defensive midfielder. So here's our nice, smart scout stats bomb shortlist of all these defensive midfielders. All of these guys tackle loads, so you don't have to do tackling anymore. Which one do you want? You're not getting a pay rise because we need to use those wages on this tackling little terrier. Do you understand? And that would be my pitch of sign, same money, but also I'm going to go get someone to do the work you clearly don't like doing. And also, I'm never, ever putting you on set-piece defending again because you don't like defending. I think I I think I can understand why a player of Pogba's talent is frustrating for so many of us because he looks like he can defend really well, right? You're, when you're six foot two and you're that quick and you're that strong and you do have games, you know, every now and again, Pogba has a freak game where he does do everything and can defend. And you go, oh, just do that every week. But he doesn't like it. He, he, he gave away that penalty against Arsenal. There was the incident when he gave away the penalty against AC Milan. He goes, yeah, I gave away the penalty. He goes, I try to be the English guy who likes tackling, but I'm not very good at it. He's told you repeatedly, he's crap at defending. Stop trying to make him defend. It's that simple. Laurie, Carl was a bit hesitant to use the word unlock there with Pogba, but this idea of unlocking him, all I picture is like a school caretaker with a set of keys and he's going, right, not this one, not this one, not this one. And he's there for an hour trying to find the right key to unlock the door. Would you renew Paul Pogba's contract or would you just say, right, we're done? I've changed my mind on this because like Andy said, I was probably one of these people that Andy spoke to, but you know, last year after Mina Ola came out with his comments about it's over for him at United on the eve of, you know, the Leipzig game, whether or not he said them on the eve, you know, they came out, that's when they came out and it, it detracted, you know, from the game. It was not a good situation to be in. I was, you know, I've sort of said, you know, I think that's it. Just just sell him next summer, get the money you can for him and move on. Um, then he goes and plays a sequence of games in the second half of the season where you're thinking, wow, if he can actually, if you can keep him and cultivate him and, and, and sort of, showing the love and I think Solskjaer's got to get a huge amount of credit for 
sort of salvaging that situation into a productive end to the campaign because another manager could easily have, have, have you know, jettisoned Pogba and said, listen, you're, you're out the team. And he, he did obviously put him out of the team. He put him on the subs bench. So he showed some strength there, but equally he showed him care and compassion. And I don't think, I think that's a good relationship between the pair of them. Um, so, you know, I, I changed my mind and I would actually, I would re-sign Paul Pogba because I think he can do things on a pitch that no other player for Man United can, um, very few players in the world can. And if you can cultivate that into a, a you know, a, for him to be happy and for him to, as Carla's, you know, very eloquently described, a tactical situation that works for him, then I think it could have real benefits. You know, if you've got Jaden Sancho on the wing that he can ping a pass out, you know, to like he did for France, uh, you know, you know, for Karim Benzema in, in that game, um, was it against Portugal, that unbelievable pass down the line. So he's, he's got that in his repertoire. Um, yeah, as Carl mentioned, clearly that deeper role doesn't, when he's in the two, it doesn't suit him because he, he does, he tries things on the ball, he gets caught. I mean, the the, the, um, the game against Crystal Palace, you know, case in point that Palace then broke and scored the winner ultimately um, at the start of last season. Um, it is different this season because, you know, he had COVID at the start of last season. He he, he feels in a good place, I'm told, mentally in his good place. Uh, he, he, he's joined up with Man United in St Andrews for pre-season camp. Um, it was a day after the England boys, but he, that was for quarantine reasons after his holiday, which I think is sort of fair enough. I think you kind of have to accept with Paul Pogba that he likes to be a bit of an individual. And and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you can, you know, Eric Cantona was very much an individual and Fergie certainly bent over backwards to keep him on board. So I don't think you have to have a one-size-fits-all um, sort of approach when, when it comes to a player of, of Pogba's talents. Clearly, United need to have that reciprocated where he gives his all for the club. Uh, and that's his full focus. Um, so personally, I would, but at the same time, as Andy said, it, it's complicated. He's got the interest from PSG, which is very real. I'm not sure personally if that appeals to him. Um, I know obviously he's from you know Paris, but he's never played in Ligue 1. I think he's happy in Manchester, you know, with his family. Does does moving to Ligue 1 really truly appeal? Let, let's see. You know, may, maybe it does. Maybe he ultimately looks at it and goes, actually. They've got a really good chance of winning the Champions League. I'd love to win the Champions League. It's back in France. Let's let's go for it. Equally, I can see a, a situation where you get to, you know, September time and, and like with David De Gea, a big offer comes in from United on a contract and um, he goes, yeah, let, let's go for it. Let's sort of see out my contract here. Um, you know, equally could just wind it down till next summer and, and, and go on a free. But I don't know, I, I'm I'm probably more optimistic. You know, my hunch would be that he stays beyond this transfer window and then we can sort of talk about it again. But it probably will become an issue if it drags on into the season where he hasn't signed a new contract. It will become a talking point and, and the kind of commitment will be sort of questioned. Well, if he's not going to be here beyond this season, should Solskjaer really be relying on him in, in important games? Um, that, that could become an issue, but I'm kind of willing to hold my breath on that one for the time being. Okay, it feels like we've done Paul Pogba, and I'm sure it won't be the last time that we do Paul Pogba on this podcast either. Let's talk then about some of the new names coming into Manchester United. And, and Andy, we need to talk about a quite fantastic front cover on the latest United We Stand as well, which includes Jaden Sancho. For anyone who's not seen it, just tell us exactly what it is, because it is definitely, definitely worth us talking about. It's brilliant. It's a cover done by our designer and artist and big match going United fan, Bandit Nana, about how in the past when United fans have been vilified for failures uh, for, for the England team or perceived failures and that they've been public enemy number one, they've actually come back really strongly and United won the league every single time since. So Beckham was hammered in 98 after the World Cup, United won the league the following season. Um, you had the Ronaldo situation after um, the World Cup in 2006. So it's a beautiful cover. We're printing the mag. We don't know how it's going to go this year. We've been away from the ground for well over a year. I hope that people still carry money to the ground and that doesn't change too much. And we'll give it our best shot to produce a decent um, fanzine. And we need people not just to say that they like the front cover, but to, to buy it and and support it, but we've got we've got some talented um, contributors, none more so than than Bandit, who um, who does the front covers. I won't advise you to look at the skit he did, showing the relationship between Manchester City and West Ham. You can find it online. It's one of the best things that's been on the internet in its entire history. 
It was a nice welcome, though, wasn't it, for for Jadon Sancho to be on the front of United we stand as he as he starts his United career, and we've got Raphael Varane, of course, arrived as well, and Andy and Laurie, you've you've put a piece together really about just how much of a surprise was felt at United that they could finally get this deal done. Andy, you touched on it before, really. There's been a lot of sort of links between players at, at clubs like Real Madrid in recent times that have ended up just getting them a new contract at Real Madrid or other clubs. But this was totally different. I mean, well, what's the background to, to, to this transfer? Because it, on the face of it, it does seem like potentially the best bit of business that United have done in quite a while. The background is that Real Madrid needed money. Simple as that. Every single player were, had a price at Real Madrid. Very difficult for them to sell the older stars um, and get a good transfer fee for them. They moved Sergio Ramos off their wage bill. I think he's, he's 34. And Varane had a price and it was a buyer's market. And when Varane went, maybe his biggest uh, suitor, sorry, when Ramos went, maybe his biggest suitor, PSG, uh, melted away for, for Varane. I know United were worried about if PSG went in for Varane. Um, he said that he wanted to come to United and taken at face value. And I know people at the club have spoke to him and to his brother. They were very impressed uh, by him. They've had some great football chats uh, with Rafael Varane. So I'm sure he'll give his reasons why he wanted to play in England. The Premier League's very attractive. I dare say he'll be getting a pay rise as well. Manchester United play pay extremely well. But Madrid wanted money, not because of the stadium. The stadium's in a separate fund. Real Madrid have been far more prudent than Barcelona. They're not in financial dire straits like Barcelona. But their president, Florentino Perez, wants to make a big, massive signature signing, a Haaland and Mbappe. He's convinced he can get Mbappe. PSG are convinced that Mbappe's going nowhere. Something has got to give. But they needed currency in their bank account so that they can bolster their war chest. She would sound like tabloid journalists here. And, and, and go for these sorts of players. So <laughs> this confluence of, um, of factors all helped Manchester United. Pretty impressed that United got him for the price that they did. And then it was done in July because we've all been frustrated that some transfers have, have dragged on far too long. But United looked at three players in the Liga very, very closely. We discussed them at length on this podcast. Um, Pau Torres at Villarreal, uh, Jules Koundé at Sevilla and Rafael Varane. He was always seen, in the words of someone at the club, the Rolls-Royce, the one we'd absolutely love to get, said with a, you know, but we're not going to get him. But United have got him. And the noise has got more and more positive. And then it happened. Brilliant. Hallelujah. Laurie, is this a product of the new structure for you? No, I wouldn't say so. I know a few people have um, looked at it and gone, well, John Merchant and Darren Fletcher have been appointed. Look at the signings that United are making and sort of put two and two together. It's not the case for me that um, these two deals were done because both clubs needed to sell. Both players wanted to leave and United had the money to do so. And they've got good deals in both situations, you know, spread payments out over a number of years, particularly in Sancho's case, which is over five years. You know, it's, it's a really incredible deal. But the leverage was in United's hands. Ed Woodward was taking the lead, basically, on, on these deals. I think he had talks at higher levels with both clubs. Um, whilst he might not have been involved in the day-to-day stuff, that's more Matt Judge, who was, you know, always there again, doing contractual negotiations and, and transfer fees and, and whatnot. He was always doing that previously. He's just changed his, his job title to a, a job title that actually fits the, the job spec that he does. So that's why I think these deals have happened. Um, you know, clearly it's, it's helpful to have someone like Darren Fletcher involved who understands football. And I'm sure he, uh, you know, spoke to the players in, involved and kind of conveyed the football side of things. Solskjaer obviously took, uh, a, a, you know, a position in, in both situations as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this isn't this isn't John Murta going out and, and doing these deals. He is, um, as Carl mentions, the football director. His job really is more internal. You know, uh, is is kind of how the structure works. He's done good work on youth football previously. The Ahmad deal, for example, is one of the ones. Hannibal Mejbury is another one that he was involved in. So I think he's more kind of academy situations and 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 fixing stuff that's going on at Old Trafford, being the conduit between certain departments and and, and people that want to get stuff done. He, he's not the guy that will ring up, you know, Borussia Dortmund and say, you know, we've got this offer. That, that's very much Edward Wood still. 
Uh, and yeah, I suppose it remains to be seen how long um, Edward Wood does stay. You know, he said he was going to leave at the end of this year. I sort of wonder if um, these deals coming in is sort of, you know, appealed to him and maybe he wants to stay after all, but that's just my own personal speculation. Please don't um, anyone clip this up and say, you know, uh, I'm suggesting that he's staying for longer than has already been uh, announced, but... Um, it's but... already been clipped up, sorry. <laughs> the aggregators are all over me, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but I, I just, yeah, I think it's very much a case of these deals were there to be done. And listen, if, if there's more deal, you look at Kieran Trippier, that's another situation that sort of feels a similar one where you know he wants to leave he wants to come to United but can United do a deal with Atletico Madrid at the moment Atletico Madrid are asking for too much so they've sort of you know held back on progressing that one a little bit but he's now back training with them um, so we'll see how that one develops um, Kamavinga is another one you know who's got one year left on his deal at Ren. he's someone that could be on the market so it's another opportunity for United maybe to have a look at if they feel like they've got the funds. But I'm, I'm led to believe that actually signings now will really depend on outgoings, um, so which we might come to. But um, but yeah, no. In terms of the structure, personally, I feel like it's 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 the this, the kind of the usual suspects, so to speak, that are involved in these deals. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, you've teased it, Laurie. Who do you think could leave? Uh, yeah, well, we've got a question actually on uh, Jesse Lingard from uh, Amulia. Um, who asked, uh, what is the current situation with Jesse Lingard? Is it for sale or does Ollie want to keep him? So that was on Twitter. Thanks for getting in touch with us. Um, yeah, I mean, so Lingard is probably the obvious one that I think most people would look at and go, he finished the end of, this, the end of last season brilliantly at West Ham. He increased his, his transfer value, or at least he uh, sort of proved again the qualities that he does have and, and maybe reminded people that actually he could be a really good signing for them. Led to believe that it's sort of 30 million is, is what United would want. He's got a year left on his deal. Um, West Ham were the most, you know, interested by all accounts, um, but I don't think they would do business at, at 30 million. So for the time being, that one seems to be clubs interested, but not necessarily taking the plunge. And on the flip side, Lingard has communicated to Solskjaer that he wants to stay. He wants to fight for his place. And the noises that I'm getting are that United look at him now this season as a, as a genuine, you know, player for the squad. Whereas, you know, the, the season before he was not getting a look in at all, you know, not even on the bench, for, for, for example, at the start of last season. So I think he's, you know, he's, he's sort of, you know, played well in pre-season as much as you can judge from pre-season games. Um, but we'll, we'll see, you know, that one, that one's, I suppose you'd look at that and think he would be the most saleable asset, but the noises are that he's going to stay. Um, Andreas Pereira, uh, Lazio, loan bid, um, rejected. Um, could he, you know, he scored a, a stunning goal, didn't he, against Brentford, probably one of the best at Old Trafford, certainly in a pre-season. What a hit. What a I hit. Mean, you, you, know, you, you watched it live and you thought, wow, you know, he's a bit of a baller, this guy. You know, can, can he stay and, and do it for United? But clearly, I, th I think that ship has sailed, really. Uh, so it's a case of can they can they get a bit of money for him? Diogo, Diogo Dallo uh, is another one that I think they perhaps look at for, for getting a bit of funds in. So there's a lot of players that you think could could they go, um, but at the same time, it, I don't think anything's particularly advanced with with the outgoings. Um, so yeah, we'll, I guess we'll wait and see that there's still a couple of weeks left of the transfer window. Let's do a couple more of the questions then, uh, as you started that section, Laurie, perfectly. Uh, Alex Emberton says, do you think that a new defensive midfield signing is likely and what is the current Pogba situation? Excited for the new season. Cheers. We're not going to talk any more about Pogba, like we say, I think. But, <laughs> yeah. um, Carl, you, you've written about this, haven't you? The, the idea of bringing in a, a defensive midfield signing. You've talked about it before in relation to Paul Pogba as well. So what do you think? It's not just Paul Pogba who'd benefit from a defensive midfield. I think if you look at Scott McTominay's best game for United last season against Leeds, where he basically played more as an attacking midfielder, as a number eight, I think McTominay would benefit from having a more dedicated stopper behind him. I think Donny van der Beek, I mean, Donny van der Beek's going to make a lot more sense this season now. Jaden Sancho's there. If you look at last summer, it very much as if Donny and Jaden were going to turn up and then one of them didn't arrive. So I think you'll probably see a lot more minutes from Donny van der Beek as the number 10 with Jaden Sancho next to him because van der Beek really likes running into that inside channel and doing overloads with the right winger. And if that right winger is someone as good as Sancho, that's going to be fun. So... Van der Beek doesn't have to track back as much and that will make more sense if you get in a defensive midfielder. I also think Fred would benefit from having a more diligent uh, 
passer and or tackler next to him. Fred's got a very interesting relationship with all of the defensive midfield players that aren't Scott McTominay. So when he plays next to Pogba, he defers all of his passing ability to Pogba, which is interesting where he... Because Fred is a decent passer, if incredibly erratic. But the moment Pogba's next to him, you can see times where Pogba will point and go run forward and Fred won't do it. Because he's like, well, no, no, you're Pogba. I'll just give you the ball and you can run forward. Um, so I think a, a, a defensive midfielder will help Fred focus his game and play more as a defensive box-to-box midfielder, if that makes sense. The sort of more Rodri in type interpretation or the defensive Gundogan interpretation. Sorry to compare to the other Manchester club there. So, yeah, there's like four players at Manchester United that benefit if you signed a proper number six. Sorry for using six as a defensive midfielder number rather than a centre-back number, but that's been my opinion since about Jose Mourinho was manager and who that player will be I think is very dependent on who is going to stay at Manchester United so if you want out if you're going out now to buy a defensive midfielder and you know Paul Pogba's going to stay then you can pretty much just buy a nasty tackler and leave the passing stuff to Pogba Uh, if Paul Pogba decides "Mm, I'm probably going to leave very soon then the need for that player to become a good passer uh, increases because then it becomes not a player who you want. Sorry, let me be really mean here. I've seen quite a lot of conversation about players being linked to Manchester United in that defensive midfield role because they are quote unquote better than McFred. Whereas what you should be doing is trying to find players that will play next to one of McFred. So if you're going to get defensive midfield that's going to play next to Scott McTominay, you need them to be a very, very good passer and a very good tackler because McTominay is going to be running up and down the pitch trying to score goals and be closer to that Darren Fletcher slash Darren Gibson role United used to have. If you're going to get someone who's going to play next to Fred, then they need to be a more consistent passer. They don't need to be a fantastic tackler because Fred is a pretty good interceptor of the ball. If they're going to play next to the Manu Matic, they need to be really, really mobile. And I always forget the Manu Matic is still at Manchester United. And that's really me. I'm sorry, mate. Um, and that's, that's the wrinkle about Manchester United. I also think if there is a certain Frenchman who has often been described as the other talented Frenchman at Man United, if he's available for, for a cut price deal because of problems in League One, you should just ignore everything I'm saying and just get him now because I think that player is so good that uh, you can build around him for the next four or five years. Sorry, that was a really difficult <laughs> answer, but it, it's a really difficult situation, this defensive midfield, because you probably should buy two players, but one of the, the extra player is highly dependent on as you know, in regards to the future of Paul Pogba. And we don't know the future of Paul Pogba right now. Somehow we started talking about Paul Pogba again. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm going to move it on. Uh, Sue Aida sent a question as well, Andy, if you don't mind addressing this one. was wondering if Ali and co are a little worried going into the new season with most of the starters still not really having a pre-season, including Paul Pogba. I've done it again. Well, Paul Pogba played for France, blah, 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 in, in the Euros. Um <laughs> Look, it's not ideal, but it's never ideal because when you're at one of the biggest clubs in the world and there are, there are tournaments, you're going to lose your players. But it's a lot better than last year. United were still finishing the previous season. A year ago, today, we're in, we're in Cologne. And there has been at least a holiday. I know a lot of the staff at the club on the football side felt that it was a two-year season. So they have had a break this summer. It's not just about the players, it's the support staff as well. And they had considerable um, time off for the first time in a couple of years in June. And there's been some pre-season friendlies. Again, it's not ideal. The the game at Preston um, being cancelled wasn't ideal, but it's not ideal for anybody at the moment. So I think that uh, United are in a much better position and I think the signings also give some comfort. You know, if we were still talking about whether Varane was going to come now or not, there'd still be big question marks over the central defence. But I spoke to people about Varane and they're like, not only does he come in and he's brilliant, but it gives us another option. Lindelof's not going to be sold. Lindelof's really highly rated, by the way, at Old Trafford. It just gives an option if there's injuries, if United are going to play as many games as they did last year when they looked really tired at the end of last season. And gives an option to play three at the back, five at the back with conviction because Eric Bailey, Eric Bailly um, is, is more prone to errors than Raphael Varane um, or even Victor Lindelof. So, yeah, um, I think that Oli 
Um, it's never perfect. There's always issues. There's always human issues when you're dealing with 26 young men. Don't ever think for one minute that every one of them's absolutely delighted because anyone who's not playing is usually got a grievance, however big or small. But I think the club are in, in, a, in a good place on the playing side going into this season ahead of the quadruple win. <laughs> that seems like a great place to leave it. So thank you to you, also to Laurie and Carl for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with another preview ahead of the new Premier League season. But that's it for our first show of 2021-22. Don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic with a special 33% discount off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy reading all the articles we've discussed today and more. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to take advantage of this special 33% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Athletic.